Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. This is brought to our listeners by Hemmings House Pictures and Vision Coaching Inc. Edible Matters, Ripple Effect Music Studios, and Robert Simmons. The best clothing to make you feel and look like Greg and Dave from the Bowling Point Podcast. Com. Robert Simmons, making us look good. Thank you to all of our sponsors that make the Boiling Point Podcast possible. Bam. Hello, John Hawthorne. John, back on the Boiling hey, Point. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Very hey. good. So listen, for, for the audience that is listening to us, um, we're, we're live right now, John. Um, John okay. was one of our, what do you think, Dave? probably in our first 20 <clears throat> very early on very early on guests of the boiling point and out of 130 episodes we've only had one technical glitch and it was John's and we lost the whole interview and since then which was at least a year probably a year and a half ago um, John has been gracious enough to come back and redo the interview so welcome back John Hawthorne from Mass Challenge in Boston Massachusetts welcome to the boiling point again <laughs> yeah, I'm psyched to be back. I would like to note before we dive in further that we solved all of the world's problems on that podcast. We it's did. A, I know. Shame. I, I, I recall like, that. I recall that. Done. What yeah. an incredible so, waste. <laughs> but we, yeah, we, I know. So, we can well, relive it today. today. We get close. But, you we know, can relive it today. So, yeah. uh, as a little backgrounder, Dave, um, uh, John and I actually met in India, of all things. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not every day that you can say that. So we were we were there exploring. Um, some of the uh, Desh Deshpande or the Deshpande Foundation work in Hubli. And as you remember for the Millennial Dream Project, we were filming over there as well. And that's where I met John and a bunch of his colleagues. And um, he told me all about what Mass Challenge is. And I think this is a good opportunity, John, for you to explain to our listeners exactly what this life-changing business uh, exploding uh, incubator is. Yeah, so <clears throat> Mass Challenge is the most startup-friendly accelerator on the planet. We don't take any equity. We don't take any revenue. We place no restrictions on the startups we support. It is totally free for startups. Uh, we are also a very large startup accelerator um, in that we right now have 375 startups we're accelerating globally, and we have 835 alumni that have graduated from the program in the, over the last seven years. We're headquartered in Boston. We use a competition model to run the program. So we have framework, really. So we give away a million dollars of cash prizes in the Boston program and various amounts in the other locations around the world. We are in uh, Boston, London, Jerusalem, Lausanne, Switzerland, and Mexico City right now, and we continue to add more program locations. Uh, for the last seven years, we've been primarily in Boston, only in Boston. We launched UK last year and the other programs this year. And so the Boston program represents most of our alumni. 835 graduates in the last seven years. They have raised uh, 1.4, over $1.4 billion of outside capital, generated $575 million of revenue, and created over 50,000 jobs uh, globally. So we are definitely able to access and assist some of the highest impact startups 
uh, in the world, and our mission is to empower the creative class globally and thereby to instantiate a period of global renaissance, which will sound a little crazy to many of your listeners, but I assure you that we are on the verge of this possibility. My God. So... <clears throat> Um, that, that's pretty impressive. I mean, and when you, when you throw numbers out like that, the, the mind kind of goes to like, what is, what would you describe as the recipe for success? Like how, how is it that you can, you know, um, support these startups to have the kind of success that you're describing? Yeah, the key, I think the, the key insight and, uh, is really a philosophical shift in the way that we think about business and growth. We, we launched at the very depth of the recession in 2000, uh, well, it was 2008, 2009, um, and we launched 2009 in May. Uh, the Dow was below 7,000 or right around 7,000 at that point in time. And, you know, what drove us into the recession was just greed. Too many people extracting short-term profit and not enough people creating long-term value, right? The very basic principle of any business or organization you have kind of two fundamental responsibilities. One is to create value, meaning you solve a problem or you create a product that people like or create a solution for something that is annoying or frustrating or difficult for people. And in return, you capture value. You, they give you money and you get to keep some of that. So it, in a simplistic way, you take a variety of ingredients that are not very delicious uh, and you combine them in to make a pie, which people like, they buy some of the pie and you get to keep a slice, right? So you can create value is like making pie. Capturing value is like taking a slice. And the problem with the economy that drove us into the recession was an obsession with capturing value, short-term value. Too many people fighting over slices of the existing pie and not enough people actually making pie. And what happens when you do that is you run out of pie. So what we are doing is trying to reorient society and businesses towards making more pie, creating value. The key is the orientation around how do I create impact? How do I solve a problem that is important and matters to people? And if you do that, you will get paid. Like you will find the money will find you because you're solving something that people want to get rid of a problem and they'll give you money in return for that. So that's really the primary innovation that we've introduced. And what happens when you do that, when you orient people on toward creating value is they work together because they realize it's not a competitive game where I'm fighting you for a share of the existing pie. It's a collaborative game where you and I are better off working together to make more pie. And then when, so what happens is we, by not taking any equity, by orienting them around, focus on your impact, not your short-term profit, we attracted all of these hyper-collaborative people that are lawyers, investors, successful business leaders, uh, potentially interested customers, the media, everybody gets excited about it because it's really cool and fun and creative. And then they all lend a hand and it becomes accelerated. And then you get this nice virtuous cycle of more people wanting to become involved, thereby having the opportunity for bigger and bigger impact. Therefore, more people want to get involved and so on. And that's how you get this kind of rapid growth cycle is by orienting people towards growth so and the, creation. Yeah. So, so the first question that uh, comes to a lot of people's minds is, well, how do you fund this? But I think you just answered it. Um, so many people in today's new economy really do have a heart for giving back. And giving back can mean money as well, because you're saying you, you give away a million dollars worth of cash and, and value. Uh, that comes from somewhere, but it sounds like it comes from values-aligned uh, stakeholders who want 
to succeed, to want this to succeed, want uh, small businesses who are impact focused to succeed. So it sounds like yeah. you, you've been able to, yeah. you personally have been able to solve an issue in the market right off the bat, like and make it easy for people to to help essentially. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so so basically, what keeps the wheels turning is enlightened self interest. So there is, if you're, uh, you know, a major corporation and you have forty percent market share in your industry, growth automatically means that you're getting you, you get forty percent of growth automatically, right? So every new customer that enters that industry, you're forty percent likely to capture their revenue within the industry. So you automatically win when the tide goes up. Therefore, promoting growth and helping new businesses to generate that growth is inherently good for the establishment, and they, therefore, are willing to fund it. And they're small dollars. Like, startups need very small amounts of money initially to get going. And by the time it becomes real money, they're already established, and it's already a near certain victory. So the, the model works very well from a financial standpoint. It's difficult to convince people up front, but after a couple of years, they start to see the returns, and then the rest of them rush in from the sidelines to get involved. So, so that definitely works. So John, um, the, what, what we're seeing in the market, especially in our area, and of course, you know, New Brunswick, Atlantic Canada, and know what the Pondish Bondi Center is, is all about and, and whatnot. It really does seem like the technology space, which is incredibly scalable, is a more favorable, um, form of company to invest in. Uh, I'm I'm saying all this very carefully because I I'm not even really too sure w- what I'm asking here. But for those of our listeners who are entrepreneurs who are not in that scalable space, but who are really innovating in uh, maybe traditional businesses or in service-based businesses, is there is there interest in those as well in the world of of mass challenge and and to be part of that big excitement in in really making impact? Yeah, totally. I mean, we are so. We- we are not biased towards any industry. Anybody can enter Mass Challenge from anywhere in the world with any startup in any industry. We help nonprofits, and we help pharmaceutical companies. It's a, it's a, or pharmaceutical startups. So it's, there's literally no restrictions whatsoever. So anybody can apply. What we are primarily interested in identifying and supporting are scalable businesses, meaning that they have the potential for global impact. So if you just want to start like one local restaurant in your town, that's probably not sufficient impact to rise to the uh, in the judge's eyes to get to get accepted into Mass Challenge. Um, but if you were, if you want to start one restaurant that might become a chain that changes the way people dine, then that would be of interest. So we're looking for something that has potentially global uh, impact solutions on for, for impact for humanity. Um, that often involves technology, but it doesn't have to. You know, technology is it sort of inherently enables scale or is, is, a, is a cheap, is a, is a high leveraged way to get um, scale. But you can also do it through business model innovations um, and other techniques. If you look at Mass Challenge, we're not inherently a technology company, but we do have scale. Ours is more of a business model innovation where we identified a flaw in the, in the market, built a new business uh, model around a solution to that flaw, and then are just riding this wave of, of growth. Um, to get there, we we do, obviously we leverage technology quite a bit, but we're not primarily a technology company. So we would support anybody. I would, and I think they're very important for society. Like if you look at Desh and some of the uh, great um, uh, innovations and ideas that Desh uh, Deshpande has realized, is that you in a new ecosystem where it's uh, not very developed. It's not like Silicon Valley or New York or Boston or one of these already thriving startup ecosystems. You generally want to start with social impact 
innovation first. Because a lot of times you'll find that one of the reasons the ecosystem can't grow is that single mothers don't have a place for their ch- for childcare for their kids, or people aren't getting educated in the right business methodologies, or don't have the right accounting background, or other sort of relatively, I mean, they're very significant challenges for the people, but in the scheme of the business ecosystem, they're relatively minor challenges that can be solved, and but without solutions for them, there cannot be any business growth because the, that person is completely uh, taken off onto the sidelines because of those challenges. So, so, so I don't think that only the technology solutions are important, and I don't think that, and those are not the only ones that we that we address. I think, in fact, the opposite is true in most places. Um, technology is a nice space in which to operate because of the scale, but certainly not the only important innovation. So, John, when you um, when you like, I'm looking at you know you being the founder and CEO of Mass Challenge. I'm just curious. Like what? What are the origins? How, you know, you saw. I mean, you mentioned earlier. You, you you saw a challenge. You know, hence mass challenge. But you know, what what really got you motivated to to kind of create this? And I guess what have you learned along the way? Oh God, the lessons are so. There's so many lessons. So let me tell you about the the, the origin of it, which I think is really fascinating, and it explains so much more about our model and why we operate the way we do and everything. So. I, I'm a, uh, I got my MBA at the Sloan School of Management at MIT and totally love MIT, greatest organization with which I've ever been affiliated. Phenomenal place, great values, amazing focus on impact and getting stuff done. While I was there, I fell in love with startups and I realized that's what I want to do. But I also graduated with $150,000 worth of student loans and I don't have a trust fund, so I've got to go and work to pay that down. So I thought, all right, I can't go in, into a very... Um, you know, risky startup where I might not get paid for six or 10 or 12 months. Um, I got to go to a real job. So I went to Bain & Company as a strategy consultant. And I thought, all right, this is a high paying job. It'll be good on my resume. I'll meet a bunch of smart people. I'll learn a bunch. And then I'll go through the first big bonus, uh, which which was like 35, 40 grand um, all at once in a check. So that's kind of nice. I thought I'll use that. I'll pay down my debt. And then I'll start a startup. Um, problem is, I graduated in 2007, so my first bonus came December 2008. And if you recall, that was like the worst time in the economy and in, in living memory. The Dow was dropping 300 points, two 300 points a day every day, pretty much for months. Had fallen from above 13,500 earlier in the year to below 9,000 by December 2008, and then eventually below 7,000 in March of 2009. So it was a really hard time to leave a high-paying, stable job. Um, but I had committed myself to doing it, and I was brainstorming like crazy to try to think of some kind of a startup I could launch, even in that down economy, and I couldn't come up with anything. And I was super frustrated, and I was lying in bed, angry at the world and full of self-pity, thinking, <laughs> you know, what the heck happened? How did we get here? I, like, eight months ago, I was on top of the world. I thought I had any choice I wanted in front of me. I could do anything. And now I feel like I'm trapped in a job I don't like. The people are talking about the next Great Depression, maybe the end of the Western economic model altogether. Like it's just this massive fall from glory and this intense fear in the system, people being laid off left and right, offices emptying out, really, really sort of scary time. Uh, And I'm lying in bed thinking, you know, how much this sucks. Here I am. I want to create a business. I want to create jobs. I want to create growth. I want to solve problems. That's exactly what we need right now. But I can't figure out a way to launch anything because money is fleeing risk. Everybody is 
uh, entrenching and defensing and, and getting defensive positions up, um, you know, somebody's got to fix that. It should be easier to start a business because that's a common good for everybody. Everybody wins when new businesses get started. There's jobs, wealth, tax revenue, problems being solved, et cetera. It's just it's good for everybody. So, but it's too hard to do. Somebody's got to fix that. And then I kind of half fell asleep and I woke up with this adrenaline shot to the heart like moment, this realization, I'm somebody. Why don't I fix it? <laughs> that's like the whole problem that nobody is deciding to be that somebody. Everybody's pointing fingers and saying, oh, it's the president's fault. Oh, it's Congress's fault. No, it's the Fed's fault. No, it's Wall Street's fault or it's society's fault or whatever. But who's actually fixing it? And it was this realization that the only way to fix it is by creating growth. You can't dig your way deeper in the hole to get out of the hole. You got to so it's not about entrenching and creating defensive positions. It's actually about investing and creating more growth to build stairs out of the hole. And the only way to create new jobs and growth uh, sustainably is through new businesses. So then I just looked at MIT and thought, like, well, MIT is such a prolific source of innovation and startups. What do they do? And we borrowed a lot of concepts and ideas that we learned at MIT, you know, using the competition model as the foundation and the centerpiece of it, creating the urgency structure, et cetera, and then um, building mentorship, intensive mentorship and training around that. And now we've added equipment and office space and all sorts of other benefits, uh, really with the underlying idea being remove friction for people trying to create startups because it's a common good for everybody. Um, the thing that's really exciting about that story, John, is you made a decision to be that guy. Um, the part I want to know is, what was the next step? You left your job, um, or maybe you didn't. Maybe you kept the job going, but you had to raise a good chunk of change. And yeah. perhaps you're entering a market for the first time where investors may or may not know you. And now, X amount of years later, look at the impact that it's making. It's huge. Yeah. But what, t tell us about the first few months of making this thing a reality. So the first thing was I had the idea and I got excited about it. And then I went into the office the next day and I shared the idea with my colleague at Bain. And he and I had been kind of plotting our escape together, so to speak. Uh, but we hadn't come up with a good idea. Like, so we kept brainstorming startup ideas, but none of, we didn't think any of them would stick. And then I mapped this one out for him and thought, like, this is one way we might be able to do it. I think if we use a competition, like most of the elements of today's program were already there, although there were some stupid inclusions in there as well that we had to, that we fixed over time. But I explained it to him. He got excited about it and literally started packing his bag and said, all right, let's quit right now. And, and I was like, whoa, 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 I'm not comfortable quitting today. Let's like, I, this was a weird dream I had last night. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe we should think about it for a couple of weeks. It is a really bad economy. We've both got kids and bills and things like, so we, we shopped it around. I just went back to MIT, talked to some of my favorite professors, said, what do you think about this? Many, you know, some of them are venture capitalists, some of them are successful entrepreneurs, some of them are academics more purely. Um, and I got feedback on it from everybody, and basically everybody said, this is a good idea. There's some broken elements to your plan. It's not perfect yet, but generally speaking, this should work, and I encourage you to pursue it. So once we got enough positive feedback, and also once we identified some of the really core errors in our plan and, and found solutions for them, um, we felt comfortable uh, giving notice at Bain, which was only a couple of weeks. And then uh, the, because it was a down economy, Bain was pretty happy to see people go because they didn't want to own everybody's salary. So they were actually offering packages to pay you for five months 
salary to do roughly like two, two and a half months of work. So we took the deal to do just a little bit of work and continue to get paid. And then we built a much more robust model and plan in the background, taking lots of meetings, using their analyst reports and, and advice from inside Bain and also from our uh, colleagues at school to just improve the plan. And then eventually we got to Desh Deshpande, who was our first major advisor. Uh, he made a bunch of introductions for us and gave us advice on the strategy and structure. We took those meetings. They all signed letters of support in large part because it was Desh that introduced us and everybody respects and loves Desh. We took those letters of support and went to the state of Massachusetts, to the governor, and said, look, you guys need jobs and growth and, and got a plan that we think can help uh, create it, um, but somebody's got to write the first check. And all these people have signed letters saying they'll support us and they'll get engaged, but nobody wants to write the first check because it's the riskiest dollar. But the state, you guys have the most to gain and the most to lose by not doing this. So please step up, write the first check, and we'll get other people to match. And they said in a very enlightened way, because they were laying off firefighters and teachers at the time, and it was a tough time, uh, but they agreed to put in the $100,000 towards the planning stage. We went back to Desh. He agreed to match the $100,000 contribution and then said, well, let's, e let's each go find $75,000 more um, by tomorrow. And we were like, well, we don't know where we're going to go get it. Um, we, we left the meeting with him. He called us five minutes later and says, I'm already done. How are you guys doing? And we were like, what? Yeah, we haven't, I haven't even called anybody. We don't even have any leads. But then he said, look, I'm calling you tomorrow at noon, and I expect you to have the money by then. And, 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 I put my neck and on this the, is Dash saying this? Yeah, this was Dash, yeah. Great. And he's like, look, the governor put his neck on the line. I put my neck on the line for you. You better execute. Let's see if you can get it done. So you went to and we had no leads. Family trust yeah, We were fund. nowhere. Yeah, yeah, we didn't have a trust fund, exactly. So we, so, but we just got panicky and like or stayed up really late and whiteboarded out every possible name of every wealthy person or organization that we've ever had any contact with. And we called all of our friends and advisors and people. And eventually we did um, get a good lead. Uh, we, we knew that the governor was going to announce the funding at Microsoft. And we thought, well, Microsoft is a pretty big, profitable company. And the governor is going to be in their space you know, Desh Despond is going to be in their space, and he got the money from the Kauffman Foundation. With those three up on stage announcing funding for this, wouldn't Microsoft be embarrassed not to participate in that? Right? And so we kind of called them with that pitch, and they, within two minutes, were like, yes, we're in. And, and we, uh, it was so, so it was just like this whirlwind. You know, 24 Incredible. hours earlier, we had nothing, oh and then all of a sudden, we had 350 grand. So t tell me this. Um, <laughs> Not name specific, but going to a Microsoft, who are you asking for money? It's such a, a megalithic organization. Yeah. So we, um, we, we ended up getting it from the public affairs group. Basically, we asked the, the, uh, the governor's staff, like, who – so we, they told us that they were going to host – that they were going to announce it at Microsoft. And we said, all right, well, who is your contact there? Can we talk to them? Because we're going to be at the event, we need the logistics information anyway, and then so we just pitched them. But it didn't it didn't come out of their budget, I don't think. It came out of somebody else's. But they wanted it to happen, so they became our champion internally and you know, helped us to get it done. Uh, what I I guess I mean, there's so many pieces that I love about the story. Um, the um, I love the fact that the government played uh, a big 
you know, really instrumental role in this. I mean, that's that's great to hear because um, so many times we want to, you know, f- solve it without the the you know having to to leverage government or use government. But but you guys use them as really the pillar or the foundation to to build upon or to build upon. Yeah, totally. And it's a and this is a. I mean, I think Massachusetts has a very enlightened government. It's yeah. a very well run state, and the city of Boston also is very well run. Did you- so. It was Deval Patrick, Governor Deval Patrick, okay. and his staff, and they were, you know, they made a quick decision. But wow. this is a tough time; the economy is tanking. Right. And uh, but they looked at all the evidence and they said, "This is the right thing to do. Let's support this." I was um, gonna, it was huge. Catalyzed. I, it. Yeah, I was just thinking that particularly tough when, like you said, they're laying people off and all that kind of thing. So, um, and it, unfortunately, <laughs> we're kind of running to the end. But I'm just curious, like. I mean, how much pressure did you feel at that point when you've got, I mean, you've got the idea up and running, now you've got people investing in the idea, like, like what, you know, so then what? Like, what's the feeling yeah. for you at that point? It was scary. This is the thing with startups, is that <laughs> it is the first three years, even when you're winning, are mostly suffering. It's like trauma, suffering, fear, and like intense risk. Yeah. I swear the first year, every day of that first year, at some point during the day, I, I thought to myself, that's it. We're dead now. It's over. <laughs> right. And then you get like, a, a, like 20 minutes later, you get a phone call that would totally save the life of the organization. You'd be like, we're back in business, baby. Okay. <laughs> you know? And then 15 minutes later, you're like, oh, no, we're actually dead. So oh, I was right. So, listen, I, I think so many huge, of us like, can relate to that. Coaster. Yeah. Yeah. No, so it, like, for instance, at the press conference where I'm feeling super proud and excited, the governor just made an announcement. I got Desh Despande up there. We're announced to a room of 400 of the most influential technology leaders in Boston. The media is there. The first question, and we announced – we're going to launch the biggest ever startup competition and accelerator, and we're going to give away a million dollars of cash prizes and not take equity. You know, we're opening on this date uh, for applications, so we're looking forward to it. First question from the audience is, where did you get the million dollars from the press? And we were like, oh, we don't have a million dollars. He's like, what do you mean you don't have it? How are you giving it away? He's like, well, we're going to go get it. He's like, where are you going to get it? Oh, we're no. like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm hoping you guys can help. Can you can you put that in the newspaper that we need a million dollars still? <laughs> and, 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 then, and this is in year one. The governor's press secretary was like, don't do that again. This is not how you do press conferences. <laughs> <laughs> so that was when I was like, Should I, I guess I have to learn how to deal with the press um, because I can't, because I screwed it up. Like you learn that first year is all about messing up every single aspect of the business in sequence yeah. and learning a painful lesson about how much that failure costs you oh my. and then correcting it for the future. It's, it's pretty tough. So in, in, when we get to wrap up, I mean, this is brilliant. This is, <laughs> this is almost as a life altering as the first one. Yeah, <laughs> not, quite, not, not quite, not quite. We, we haven't solved a few of the, the issues or, you know, yeah. you know, global warming is still on the, still, on the yeah, we got, we got to get, we got to get to that. Um, but what I, you know, as, as a, as a, as a proud Canadian, I'm just curious about, you know, you've got, you know, uh, got, I see London, you know, there's Boston, there's Mexico city, there's, um, you got Israel. Um, so what about Canada? What's going on? Yeah, no, we're, Canada is very much on our radar. We're, t- we're super eager uh, to go to Canada. You know, I think probably the only reason we aren't in Canada is because you guys are so darn polite and we, we, we've had a kind of, so you're just not pushing Don't enough. Don't be such and a dick, other, man. <laughs> we get other we get other people who are so pushy that they grab us and bring us into their country. But no, we we have had, we have started some conversations. Uh, both uh, Toronto, Montreal would be the logical. Um, you know, we could also go to Vancouver. Uh, there's other, you know there's many good great locations. Fredericton, New Brunswick. Come on, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
Okay, we got it. We'll, there already. Well, we, yeah, you're, we, right. Uh, you're right. Yeah, we got it. We'll be. We'll yeah. We'll we'll be a little pushy in the Maritimes. So well, How about the, that? The other thing is, is I'm yeah. I, I I'm good. I want to I want to apply this year because for Mass Challenge, I, I want to go down and be inspired by the process. Not saying I'm going to get in. But I, I'm I'm going to apply for whatever the next round is. And okay, good. Yeah, so it's in Boston. The next application opens in February. So you're sweet. And how, we just closed. And how do people learn about you know get 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 involved and and learn you know the application process and all that stuff? How do how do they and how do they yeah, everything, reach more opportunity? Everything's on the website, MassChallenge.org. There's also a lot of videos around online, but just check out MassChallenge.org. There's a timeline. Each uh, there's two cycles this right now. Uh, there's one that opens in applications open in February and close in uh, April or early May, and then the other cycle uh, opens in, I think it is June and closes, uh, in, uh, July. So, but the dates are on the website and we'll be adding more locations and more application dates and stuff for next year. So just keep your eyes out there. And, you know, we're also, if you want any more information, you can always email contact at mass challenge, or if you're in the Boston area or London or Jerusalem or Mexico or Lausanne, then, you know, swing by the office. It's open and we're always like excited to see new people and introduce them and give them a tour. So just swing by sometime. Love it. John, thanks so much, man. Really looking forward to seeing you again in person sometime soon. I'm sure it'll happen. And uh, yeah. yeah, enjoy it, man. Uh, looking forward to it. Thanks for everything that you do for the uh, the global entrepreneurial struggle and inspiring yeah. that struggle to turn into action. Thanks a lot. Well, we're having a blast, and I'm looking forward to having a lot more fun and growing bigger and bigger in the years to come. And I look forward to seeing you guys either down here in Boston or back up in New Brunswick. All right, man. Take, right. take care. See you, John. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All, All right. right. Later. Okay. So, Greg, you know what? We have the luxury of doing this podcast, which we've enjoyed for 130-odd episodes. Um, and the reason we're able to do this is because we've got these great companies supporting us. Um, a couple we should mention. One I'm a big fan of, Hemming's House Pictures. And uh, that's your company. Thanks, Dave. And it is great work. Uh, you just got to go and check out their website to see it. Um, I've actually used you guys a number of times to do a documentary, do a corporate video. And uh, so it's accessible to small and large businesses and wonderful at helping um, business tell story and, and movements, to, you know, help shaping story around, you know, wh what's happening in the world. So thank you. To HHB. Well, I, I'd like to say thank you to one of the, the Hemings House team members, uh, Tim Davidson. And we're actually in his his uh, other company's studio right now, Ripple Effect Music. So uh, Tim is yet another community-minded person who is essentially donating his studio, uh, the studio that we use at Hemings House to make all of our films sound good. Um, so he's a part of this. Another really important uh, person uh, is Matt, uh, Matt Weber. Mm -hmm. And he his company is uh, Edible Matters. It's an incredible restaurant out in Hammond's uh, Plains outside Halifax, Nova Scotia. He's the one that edits this, all, this, all this stuff together, puts the show notes together, and uploads these podcasts every single week. And then Going back to my good friend who I'm looking at right now, Dave Vale, the big guy with the biggest muscles I've ever met in my life, who also, Dave, you um, you have to know that without you in the early days of me shaping Hemming's House, I probably wouldn't have created Hemming's House. So um, Vision Coaching has helped so many companies and entrepreneurs find their coach approach and create companies that actually can make the change in the world that they want to see. And uh, so Vision Coaching 
uh, and uh, everything that you bring to the table, bringing Kim uh, in as well to help us make this podcast a, a success. We say thank you so much. And the great news, the other night, a few weeks ago, you and I bumped into a previous podcast guest, Mr. Paul Simmons himself. Why don't you tell our, our listeners about our, our newest gold sponsor for our podcast? Yes, Robert Simmons is a fabulous place, um, well-known to people throughout New Brunswick, but also um, you can shop there online, men's and women's clothing. And um, uh, Paul Simmons, who is, uh, I, I mean, I think they've been going on 20 years now, the founder of the company, um, brings the customer experience to a whole nother level. I say that because I shop there. Um, you know, if you were to say, Dave, you look really good wearing that particular suit, um, I would say, well, thank you. And I would have to credit Paul and his staff, which is fabulous. And it's, it's an incredible experience. You've had it before shopping there. Um, what, I look great. Look what, at me. And, and what's the experience like? What are they you, walk, you walk in the door, you literally get asked if you'd like to have a, a glass of scotch or an espresso. And that's the beginning of the experience. And you walk out with a new set of clothes that makes you feel like uh, feel like a well-dressed man or woman, depending on uh, on what you are as you walk into this incredible place. They have an incredible uh, magazine that they publish, I believe, quarterly. And uh, the next one's coming out, the fall issue of 2016. Um, they always, what we enjoy, and I think what aligns us with what, what Robert Simmons does is is they make a point of, of covering interesting, um, often uh, business-minded, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, um, community leaders in their publication, and they believe in promoting local. And it's coming out soon, and we have the good fortune of interviewing some of the people in the, uh, in the September issue. Coming up, so uh, robertsimmons.com. And uh, yeah, so that's great. Thanks to our sponsors. And if anybody else uh, in, the, in the podcast sphere is interested in helping us uh, push our Boiling Point movement forward, be in touch. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. 
Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>